Good evening and welcome again. We're glad that you're here tonight. We're going to be looking at 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 12 in our study tonight. I want to invite you to turn and study along as we think for a minute or two tonight about how as God's people we are in a war zone. And really the thrust of what we want to talk about this evening is staying strong and faithful in this war zone. And so we'll be doing that in just a moment. We are thankful for the opportunity to be together. We're glad that we've had the opportunity to worship God, to enjoy fellowship with one another, and tonight is no exception. We're always glad for the opportunity to come together. We have visitors that come our way from week to week, and we appreciate so much your presence. We encourage you to come back and be with us at every opportunity that you have. And we always try to extend an invitation to those who are looking for a church home. It might be that's your case tonight. You're looking for a place to call home, and we want to encourage you to consider the work here at Olive Branch. We would be glad to have you come and join hands with us and help us spread the good news of the gospel of Christ. Tonight, as we look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 12, we want to spend some time and talk about staying strong and faithful in the war zone. And as Christians, we are engaged in the heat of battle. That's why the Apostle Paul would say, fight the good fight of faith. As we look at these verses, I want to begin by talking about the citizenship of a Christian. Those of us who are God's people, we are heaven bound and we live in anticipation of one day being with God in heaven. As we look at our lesson text, the first thing that I want to call attention to is our status in the Lord. In verse 9, Peter said, You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but now are the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. The idea here is that as the people of God, we have been called out of spiritual darkness into the marvelous light of Jesus Christ. Through our obedience to the gospel of Christ, the Bible tells us that we have been delivered out of the power of darkness. We are no longer under the domain of the devil. You see, the Bible tells us that the devil is the God of this age, the God of this world in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. At verse 4. And yet when we obey the gospel, our status changes. We are no longer in the world, but we are in Christ. And we are a part of the body of Christ. In Colossians chapter 1 at verse 12, Paul said, giving thanks to the Father who has made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who has delivered us out of the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of God's dear Son. He said it is in that sphere that we enjoy redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. And so we are new people in Christ. We are, as Paul would say in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, a new creation. All things have passed away. And thus, behold, as he would say, all things have become new. Now, note if you would what is said about those of us who are in Christ in verse 9. He said, we are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. God's holy nation today 
is the church. Each of us functions as priest of Almighty God. Priest in the Old Testament offered sacrifices. Those of us today who belong to the body of Christ, we offer up spiritual sacrifices based on verse 5 of chapter 2. Those sacrifices which are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And this would encompass a number of things from the way that we live to our worship to Almighty God. But then there's a second thing I want to call attention to for just a moment, and that is our status in life. Not only have we changed as a result of our obedience to the gospel of Christ, we're no longer in darkness, but we are in the light. But the Bible tells us that we are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Thus, we have a heavenly mindset. Note, if you would, what is said in verse 11. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul. As a child of God, we're heaven bound. Paul, in writing to the church at Philippi, would talk about those who mind earthly things. Note the contrast, though. He would say, but our citizenship, our commonwealth, is in heaven, whence also we wait for a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. The idea is, and the idea that Peter is stressing here, the idea that the Apostle Paul was emphasizing to the church at Philippi, is that we are merely passing through this world. This world's not our home. There are a lot of folks in the world today that have literally hooked their wagon to what we would call the world and the things of the world. The Bible tells us explicitly that the world is passing away and the lust thereof. Now know what Peter said, you are a sojourner, a pilgrim. We are sojourners or pilgrims in search of a city. You ever thought about how many people in our world today misunderstand the purpose of life and yet as a child of God, we live with purpose, don't we? We understand what our purpose is. Not long ago, I read, as a matter of fact, just a few days ago, I read about a couple of people that had, a, that had attained, I guess, status in this world. They enjoyed momentary fame, and yet life had turned, and as a result of some of the events that had changed in their lives, they exited this world through suicide. They felt as if life was no longer meaningful. There was nothing for them in this life. Well, as a child of God, we understand, look, there are going to be highs and lows, good and bad times. There are going to be joys and, there going to be joys and failures in life. But we ride through the storms of life because we have purpose. We understand that our purpose is ultimately to bring honor and glory to God. And in looking at the book of Ecclesiastes, I think about Solomon. Solomon had it all, materially speaking. He was famous. He had money. He had prestige. He had everything that people think will make them happy. And yet his conclusion was, fear God, keep his commandments, for this is man's all. That's what life's about. And Peter here is saying, look, we don't have an abiding city here, but rather we are seeking that city to come. So what we need to understand is that we have a sense of purpose in this life. Our sense of purpose is to fear God, keep his commandments, to bring him honor and glory. We're going to talk about glorifying God in just a minute. And then I think about how we as God's people, 
as a sojourner, as a pilgrim in search of a homeland. We live with a presence. Think about your influence in this world. Jesus will talk about how we are to be the salt of the earth, the light of the world. In verse 12, Peter talks about having our conduct honorable among the Gentiles. He was talking here specific, specifically to the first century Christians. And he said, when they speak against you as evildoers that they may behold or that they may by your good works which they observe glorify God in the day of visitation. There are lots of folks that hurl insults and persecutions towards those of us who are the people of God. You go back and you look at the record of Acts. Note if you would the persecution that swept the early church. Persecution that was inflicted not just by the Jews but by Gentiles that had been stirred up by the Jewish people. And yet it very well may have been the case that some of those very people had been led to God by watching the demeanor, the lives of those who belong to the body of Christ. We have a presence in this world and we ought to let our light shine. We ought to let people know that we are the people of God. There's a better way to live. Yes, we're only, get, we're only gonna be here for a limited amount of time. But as we live here upon this earth, we are going to the best of our ability, live in such a way so that others can see Christ living in us. And then I think about how we are to live with promise. Peter in 1 Peter chapter 1 talks about how we have an inheritance. He said it is incorruptible, it's undefiled, it fades not away. He said it's reserved in heaven for you. If you're a child of God, you have reservations in heaven. God has your name entered in the Lamb's book of life. One day we're going to stand before Almighty God. The books are going to be open. That is, the Old and New Testament books. Those of us that have lived under the law of Christ, we're going to be judged on the basis of the New Testament. And then another book's going to be opened, which, as John said, is the book of life. And those whose names are in the book of life are going to enjoy eternity with Almighty God. And so we live with promise. Think about how many people in our world today have no hope, no promise. Paul in Ephesians chapter 2 talks about those who are without hope and without God in this world. There is nothing more bleak, there is nothing worse than living without any kind of hope. There are lots of folks exiting this world on a daily basis. The vast majority of which are unprepared to meet Almighty God on the day of judgment. And yet as Christians... We step out into eternity knowing that we have hope. There's an air of confidence that we have. It's not arrogance, but rather it is this assurance, this confidence that we have based on our relationship to the Lord, and it is also underscored by what is said in God's Word. When God says, look, you have an inheritance, we ought to believe that. When God says, you have done what the Bible says to do to be saved, we ought to rest on those promises. The Bible says, he that believes and is baptized shall be saved. If you have done that, then you are in a saved condition. If you're living faithfully for the cause of Christ, you have the promise of life eternal. Revelation chapter 2, verse 10. That is a promise that nobody can take from you. Remember what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5? He said, for we know 
But if the earthly house of our tabernacle be dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Paul here is writing with confidence. I understand Paul was writing by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But Paul is saying, look, we know this. And those of us who belong to the body of Christ, we have that same assurance. We have that same confidence. When we come to the end of life here on earth, we can face the end with an air of confidence, we can know that we're going to be victorious over death, that we'll go home to be with the Lord. John said, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works do follow them. And so to know that as a child of God, when my time comes to an end here on planet Earth, I've got a better place to go to. I'm going to that eternal abiding city, the city of God. Peter here in writing to the Christians in the first century calls them sojourners and pilgrims. We, we don't use these terms very often in our world today. But that's really what we are. We're just passing through this world. We're on a journey. That journey will ultimately culminate in death. And we'll make the transition into the next realm, into eternity. The Bible tells us We'll step out into paradise. We'll be with the Lord. And as Paul said in Philippians chapter 1, to depart and be with Christ is far better. Now, there's a second thing I want you to see as we look at our study tonight. And it has to do with the conduct of a Christian. We talk about our citizenship as a Christian. Our citizenship is that is, is basically we're heaven bound. We're looking toward that day when God will give us that heavenly home. But what about our conduct? Well, the Bible talks about our holy behavior. That is the way we're to carry ourselves in this life. First of all, the Apostle Peter addresses those things that we are to abstain from in this life. So we want to talk about abstaining from the things of this world as a Christian. Listen to what Peter said again in verse 11. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust which war against the soul. I want to call attention first of all to the devices of the devil. Did you know that the devil has any number of devices that he employs to circumvent our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? There are a lot of folks in our world today, they have been caught up in a web of lies, the devil's lies. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 at verse 11 that lest Satan take advantage of us, we are not ignorant of his devices. We, we need to understand how the enemy operates. The devil is doing everything he can to destroy your soul. Last week in our study, we talked about the world and the things of the world. And we said that the devil uses the lust of the flesh, uncontrolled desire, the lust of the eyes, the eyes, the gateway to the soul. The devil will often appeal to us through our senses. One of those senses is vision. And then the pride of life. Down through the years, the devil has done everything that he can to destroy the human family through the lust of the flesh, 
the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. I would encourage you to read Genesis chapter 3 and Matthew chapter 4. Note the temptations posed to Adam and Eve, and then look at them in light of the temptations that were posed by the devil to the Son of God. And note that the devil used the same means to tempt both. The only difference is Jesus rose above those temptations. He was successful. He was faithful in the face of temptation. So the devil employs a lot of devices. What the devil wants you to believe, whether you're young or old, is, hey, look, you can live any way you want. He tells young people, you want to drink? Drink. You want to take drugs? You want to smoke dope? You want to use, you want to use cocaine? Ecstasy? Crack? I mean, hey, if you want to use it, use it. The devil says, there are lots of things that are fun. And there are lots of things that can bring you happiness in this life. The devil says you want to have sex outside of marriage, then that's what you need to do. But you need to understand there's a price to pay for that. Wherever the devil goes, he leaves carnage in his wake. Lots of young people in our world have been deceived. Not just young people, but older folks as well. They've been duped by the devil. Now we talk about the devices of the devil. But you need to understand that there is also the destructiveness of the devil. Peter said, be sober, be vigilant. Your adversary of the devil walketh about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. That word devour carries with it the idea of gulping down. What the devil wants to do is to deceive you into doing that which is wrong. His aim, his intent is to destroy your eternal soul. That's what we need to see. We need to understand that the devil, the devil wants to do everything he can to get you in his clutches and me in his clutches. Paul talks about in 2 Timothy chapter 2, those who are taken captive by the devil to do his will. There are a lot of people that have been hurt by sinful practices. I mentioned a moment ago drugs, whether it be alcohol, chemical substances, prescription drugs. There are lots of things that can destroy your life. Sexual improprieties, gambling. I mean, the list goes on and on. All of these are the devices of Satan. And what Satan wants to do is dress these things up and make them look harmless. What the devil wants you to, th to think in this life is, hey, I deserve it. I ought to have a little bit of fun. I ought to enjoy life. Here's what the Bible says. The way of the transgressor is hard. When I think back over the years, back to my teenage years, I can think of certain individuals that aren't here today because the devil deceived them. Drinking and driving, I've known folks, they're in eternity because they didn't, they didn't listen to what the Bible says about drinking. They didn't listen to what the parents said. They didn't listen to what their preacher said. I think about young folks that are in the grave today, and older folks too, 
because they used chemical substances. They used cocaine. They got hooked on drugs. And they're in eternity. And I know what people say, it'll never happen to me. Let me tell you what, there are a lot of folks in eternity that have, have that very thought right now. Never happened to me. Guess what? It happened to you. And it can happen to you. You just listen to the devil. He'll deceive you. He'll turn your life upside down. He'll destroy your life. And he'll destroy the life of your, of your family members as well. I've seen a lot of heartache in this world. I've seen a lot of folks that have suffered a heavy price because of sin. They let the devil in the door. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4, neither give place to the devil. You open the door, you let him in, guess what? You're going to pay a heavy price. You're going to suffer for it. Again, the words of Solomon, the way of the transgressor is hard. I've known young folks, I've known older folks that have messed their lives up with sin. Now the world today says sin's outdated, old-fashioned, archaic. You just do what you want to do. You live how you want to live and hey, that's okay. Well, if I were the devil, I'd be right along with the world. I'd, I'd be saying to the world, you just keep preaching my song. Well, the facts are in. And the facts are, you live in sin and you listen to, to what the world says and you're going to suffer for it. You'll suffer physically. You'll suffer mentally. You'll suffer emotionally. And you will suffer most of all spiritually. Because the Bible says the wages of sin is death. There are people in eternity right now and what they're saying is, it never happened to me. Well, it happened to you. And you died unprepared to meet Almighty God. And that's something that can't be revoked. It's a sad fact. So we talk about some things that we are to abstain from as Christians. What about activities of Christians? Are there some things that we can do? We talk about the things that we can't do. What about things that we can do? There are lots of things that we as children of God can do. I think about our good works. Listen again to what Peter said in verse 12. Having your, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they observe. The Bible talks a lot about the Christian and his or her works. In Ephesians 2 verse 10, the Bible tells us that we have been created in Christ Jesus unto good works. My life as a child of God is to be about good works. Not so that I can toot my horn and say, hey, what a great Christian I am or how righteous I am, but I engage in these works because number one, it's the right thing to do and number two, because it ultimately glorifies God. So what are some things that I can do? What should my mindset be as a child of God? Well, first of all, I've got to understand the Lord wants me in his service. He wants to use me. I am an instrument for good in the kingdom of God. In Titus chapter 2, Paul in writing in verse 14 said that the child of God is to be zealous of good works. When you think about the word zeal, what comes to mind? 
I think about somebody who is ready to go, somebody who has a lot of energy. They're excited about what they're doing. And the Bible says that as a child of God, we ought to be excited. We ought to have zeal when it comes to working in the kingdom of God. We sing the song, I want to be a, key. I want to be a worker for the Lord. What does it mean to be a worker for the Lord? It means to be involved. And then in chapter 3, verse 1, Paul would say to Titus, be ready unto every good work. In chapter 2, verse 7, he would talk about living so that our lives are a pattern for good works. That is, when people see you, you are a model of Christianity, of Christian works. Good works. In chapter 3, verse 8, he would say, be careful to maintain good works. In verse 14, he would say, learn to maintain good works to meet urgent needs. So the thrust of what Paul is saying to Titus is, get busy. Get the people of God busy. Get them moving. So what are some things that we can do? Number one, we can feed the sick. Or rather, we can feed the hungry, can't we? You Remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 25? I was hungry, and what would you do? He said, you gave me something to eat. So we reach out to those who don't have anything to eat. And then I think, about, I think about the homeless, those who are in need. Jesus said, I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. He said, I was a stranger and you took me in. We talk about meeting urgent needs, basic fundamental needs, food, shelter, Clothing, just meeting the needs of people. Here's what you can do. You can feed the hungry. You can help the homeless. You can visit those who are sick, as Jesus talked about in Matthew chapter 25. Maybe you can't make a physical visit in the home of a sick or shut-in person. You know what you can do? You can write a card. You can pick up the telephone and call somebody. You can send them an email. There are so many things that we can do as God's people. In James chapter 1, James talks about pure religion. And he said pure religion reaches out to the fatherless and the widow. In other words, we meet their needs. We help them. These are things, concrete things that we can do as children of God. Young folks have lots of energy. There are older folks, there are older people in, in the church, in the world. Maybe, maybe they can't cut their grass, take care of their home, take care of their yard. Maybe they need somebody to sit with them for a little while. Guess what? You can do that. Again, basic fundamental needs. You see, Christianity is about reaching out to help people. Let me tell you something else you can do. You can be a burden bearer. In Galatians chapter 6 at verse 2, Paul said, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. There are people in, in the church that are hurting. They're in sorrow. But maybe, they've, maybe they've suffered some type of loss. You can sit with them. You can talk to them. You can pray with them. You can encourage them. These are just things that we as, as God's people can do. I've said before, we're not trying to reinvent the wheel. We're just saying, look, 
Here's some biblical things that we can do. Sometimes people say, well, what can I do? I don't know what I can do. You can visit. You can fix food. You can take care of people that don't have a place to live. You can reach out to those who are widows, orphaned. You can pray for people. I know, a, I know of a man that lives in the state of Alabama. He calls himself the horizontal preacher because he's bedridden. But this guy does a lot even though he's confined to bed. Maybe you can't get in an automobile and go to somebody's home and visit with them. Maybe you can't prepare food. But let me tell you what you can do. You can pray for somebody. You can bow your head in the presence of God and pray for saints. You remember the Apostle Paul in writing to the church at Thessalonica said, Brethren, pray for us. That's something that you can do as a child of God. Now, why do we do these things? Well, we do these things so that God may be glorified. Listen to what he said. That they may by your good works which they observe glorify God in the day of visitation. You remember what Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Everything that we do in the name of Christ is done to bring honor and glory to God. When the church is at work, when the church is doing what she's called upon to do, whether it's engaging in acts of benevolence or evangelism, we're doing those things to the glory of Almighty God. And let me tell you, when a community sees the church doing what it ought to be doing, it says something. It says something to the community that those people are trying to be like Christ. They're trying to be the church that's revealed in the Bible. I would hope and pray that we as God's people will stay faithful. That we will stay true to him in the war zone. It's tough living in this world because the devil is lurking. The devil's doing everything he can to destroy us, to deter us from doing what we know to what we know that we ought to do. So what we've got to do is get busy. Live as God would have us to live. To realize that we're heaven bound. And that we are to have holy behavior. Those of us that live holy lives. We have the promise of being in his presence one day. Jesus would say blessed are the pure in heart. For they shall see God. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, we want to encourage you to come to Christ believing that he is the Son of God. We want to encourage you to repent, to turn from a life of sin, to do as they did on Pentecost Day, to repent, be baptized into Christ so that every sin can be washed away. When you do that, God will add you to the church. You will enjoy all the blessings and favors of being a child of the King. And then just be faithful. I want to close by saying this. I wish every person in the church understood the importance of being faithful. I wish everybody in the church understood what it means to be faithful 
come what may. There are lots of times that I struggle in knowing what to say to people that aren't what they ought to be. And I guess one of the major disappointments that I have as a Christian, as a gospel preacher, is that there are folks that I know ought, ought to do better. They, they, haven't, they haven't fully given themselves to the Lord. And so they're not what they ought to be. They're not present all the time. They're not involved. They're just drifting through life. And it's a disappointment. This building ought to be packed tonight, but it's not. And the reason is because there are some folks, their heart's just not in it. They don't understand we're in a, we're in a war zone. And they don't understand that the devil, the devil's going to win in their lives if they don't straighten up and fly right. You know people that ought to be here tonight. I want to encourage you, call them, encourage them. Tell them, you need to be here. If they have children, they need to be here. Because let me tell you what, 25 years from now when their children are grown, where do you think they're going to be? They're not going to be here. They're not going to be in the services of the church because they're just going to do what mama and daddy did. This is serious stuff. Our souls hang in the balances. We want to go to heaven. I think all of us want to go to heaven. But we're not all going to get there if we don't stay true to God and his word. If we're not faithful until the end. If you're here tonight and you're not what you ought to be, could we encourage you to come home? Come back to a loving God who will abundantly pardon. Would you do that as we stand and sing?